Uh, we're at a pretty important stage in the, in the life of this church, whether you recognize it or not. It's really why we're doing these two messages that we did this week and uh, that we did last week um, to help us remember kind of where we're headed. When you take off in an airplane, you can be flying along, and, and it's not so important at the beginning of your flight that you're exactly on course. You can always kind of course correct and kind of keep your eye on along the way and, and course correct and stay on course. But if you don't pay attention to where you're headed, even if you're off just a half a degree, even less than half a degree, over the course of 200, 300 miles, you can totally miss the city. I mean, you could miss a big city, fly right past it, never know that you've missed it. Um, and so we're at this place in the life of our church where we have a lot of new people and people are coming in and checking us out and, and we need to try and make sure that we keep course correcting, that we stay on task, that we, that we stick to the vision and mission of the church. And as, as I lead... Um, that is, it's always a challenge because it's easy to get in and start doing the job and start working uh, towards something and miss other things. And so I will be repentant today as I, as I confess um, that there are some things that I've not done well. Um, but the reality is, is that I hope that as you recognize that, that you'll recognize there's things as a, as a church body that we can do better. Um, but anyway, so we started off the new year in, in our new meeting location, you know, and, and uh, there's, there's things that have been challenging about it uh, in, in my own walk and, and ways that where the Lord has stretched me and grown me. And uh, honestly, as we came in here last week, we thought, I thought we were going to face all kind of challenges and there's going to be all kind of difficulties. And while it was a different energy and, and I was off a little bit, and uh, the reality is that it, it, it went fine. Um, and this week, we come in and we gather and we're here to worship God and, and, and really... No matter where we're at, the reality is, is that we can do that. And so uh, I, I think that we're off to a great start, and I, I look forward to what the year holds and what we can find here, what, what he can move us through and, and, and push us towards as we do this. But we can't lose sight of kind of where he's ha had us headed all along uh, because I don't think this is a complete change of destination. His, his purposes for his people don't really change. We just need to be reminded of them. And so that's really the intent of this week's message and last week's is to, just to keep us on course. Last week, in a sense, we kinda, I kind of gave you an idea of where it started in my mind. And so as this dream, as, as I looked four and a half years ago, as I looked forward, before we had ever begun meeting with people, before we had ever even been really talking about it out loud, four and a half years ago, before Amy even had any idea that this was what was going on, this is what the, the Lord had begun to work in my mind. And so this dream uh, is becoming a reality. And the, re the, the, the truth is that if you're here and you call this your church and um, you have made a home with us, the reality is, is that you're part of making it physically happen. Um, and so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about where we're headed. I'm excited about the things that are going on. I'm excited about the challenges we face. But I recognize that it requires us to stay together, to, to stick together, to keep pushing forward, to, to persevere and endure. And so I want to help remind you. That's the intent of, of, of what this is about. I want to remind you of what we're about. I want to remind you of, of where we're headed so that you can walk with me. I don't want to have to drag. I, it's not my intent to, to be beating people over the head with a hammer and, hey, get back on course. You know, that's not the way we want to do it. I mean, we're, we love one another. We serve together. And so um, we can walk together. Um, and, and so let me just go over the points from last week. Let me give you an idea of where we were at um, and then remind you of that and we'll build out of that. We'll, we'll kind of put sheetrock on the walls today. 
Last week we kind of put some studs up and it's hard to understand and imagine what the room's going to look like until you actually put sheetrock up. And then once you got sheetrock, you got a much better idea of what the house is going to look like. So um, that's what we're going to do. Last week we started out and I totally ripped off Martin Luther King and I kind of insulted him. And for that I apologize. I hope that nobody was offended because I said I was cooler than he was. That was not my intent. Uh, to, to make, I'm not trying to tread on the, the memory of a, a very important man in our history, um, but you know I'm, I, I think I'm cooler than he is. And so if you've got problems with that, then we can talk later. But I totally ripped him off because he did come up with this great line, I have a dream, you know, and I have a dream of a church that, that worships God authentically, that it's not some empty offering, it's not some just just show up on Sunday morning and I've got this thing I'm going to do and, and there I've worshipped God and I'm going to go about my life. But it's something that defines us, something that marks our, our life, uh, a life given to honoring and glorifying God, a life lived in gratitude for what he's done and what he's doing. Um, last week as I defined this and as I kind of painted this picture for you, uh, I, I kind of took a negative perspective. We looked at the the, the Jews as they worshipped in their temple and how they kind of missed the point and they made it all about themselves and how Jesus came in and, and pushed, the, pushed the traitors out and the, not the traitors, well, they were trading. Uh, they weren't traitors. They hadn't fought against their country, but they were, they were marketing and, and, and selling and cheating one another and they were totally missing the point about what worship in the temple was to be about. And, and rather than do that again this week, I wanted to give you some positive perspective, some idea about how we move forward as a body of believers. And so as we go through and just define these points again, let me give you some verses. Romans 12.1, Paul teaching the Romans. He's given them this, this beautiful expression of the gospel. He's defined in a big way what God did as he came and saved us. And then he says, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of all that I've told you, Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I appeal to you to do this. I encourage you. I, I, I challenge you. I, this, this is not, it's not a begging, but it's a sense that hey, this is important. And I appeal to you. I, I, I want you to understand the importance of this. I appeal to you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, worship is not about showing up and, and gathering together, although that's a part of it. Worship is, is lived in, in, in our jobs. As we go to work and we do a good job, it honors God. As we, as we strive to be, the, to, 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 to be good parents or to be good husbands and good wives and, and, and to, to live in our families well, it honors God. It glorifies Him. As we, as we live in our communities, it honors God. As we serve in our churches, it honors God every bit of our life given before Him, sacrificed before Him, given to Him, following Him, submitting to His rule, it becomes an act of worship. We can sit together and eat ice cream and worship God, enjoy what He's enabled us to, to have, enjoy the fellowship that we have with brothers and sisters, and speak well of Him. It honors God, it glorifies Him. And we're grateful because of who He is and what He's done and how He's revealed Himself. See, I have a dream of a church that won't find its greatest, greatest satisfaction in the things of this world. See, this, this, this church, it, it wouldn't be a people who are, are still sold out to, to finding the American dream and living the American dream and thinking that that's going to satisfy us. But that we would recognize that God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, Jesus, our Savior, 
the Holy Spirit, our, our, our motivator and, and the, the God who lives in us, that He's sufficient, that He's enough, that He satisfies, and He brings identity, that He brings purpose, that He brings meaning to our life, that it, it, it's in Him that we find worth and value. See, that's, that's what we really want. That's, that's, we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to, be, we, want to be, we, want, we want to have some reason to move forward. And God, our Father, our Jesus, our Savior, the Holy Spirit, our, our, our motivator, our teacher, we find those things, those base needs of life. And, and Matthew, as, as he's writing and teaching or, or, or reminding us what Jesus taught as he taught, on the sermon on, taught during the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus is talking about being anxious and worrying and, and, and striving hard for the things, the physical needs that we think we need. He says, wait a minute, don't be anxious for those things. Seek first God's presence, His authority, life in His kingdom, life in His, in His presence. Seek those things. Seek to be made righteous by Him. Seek, seek His perfection. Seek that first. Well, the only way we're going to find that is to be with Him, to be accepted by Him, to be loved by Him, to be changed and saved by Him, to be, to be filled up in the Spirit and to walk in line with Him and see our lives become different, to be converted, sanctified, and, and, and justified, to, to become those things. And all the other things, all the other stuff that can seem so important that, that, that might seem to satisfy, stuff's going to be added. You're going to be able to have that stuff. You'll, you'll enjoy that stuff. You'll be entertained by that stuff. You'll, 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 you'll be able to use it as tools. You'll, it'll make your life easier. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all this other stuff is, is superfluous. It's extra. Oh, but I need clothes. Hey, He'll take care of you. I need a place to live. He'll take care of you. He's called us to trust Him, to, to, to seek Him. That's the dream I have of a church. I have a dream of a church that recognizes the value of deep relationship. I, I want to be a part of a people who gather, who recognize that they are not just individuals coming to get what they get. Just showing up and getting whatever I can get and going home and living my life. You see, we are bound together as a family. We are brought together by Christ. He brings us together. He connects us. You know, this, this isn't relationships that are connected by blood, by a bloodline. This is a spiritual connection that happens as we are brought into the family. We are adopted in, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we matter to one another. It's so important that we recognize this. I, I, this is the thing that I have missed so much, I, I think, in, in, in so much of my Christian life. As, as I was first saved and began to try and grow up, I, I didn't belong to anyone. I didn't, I didn't feel connected to anybody. But we're so responsible to one another. We need one another. I have a, church, I have a dream of a church that recognizes that. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, Peter is writing to this group of people that they recognize how desperately they need one another. They are being beaten and killed for their faith. They, 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 are, they are in danger every day. And he's writing to them and he says, you are a chosen race. 
He said, we're not white, we're not black, we're not, we're not Greek and, 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 and uh, Gen- Jew and Gentile. We're not those things anymore. We are a chosen race, a, a distinct people, a royal priesthood. There is honor and there is dignity bestowed upon by Christ, by the work that he's done. And we are a liaison between him and, his, and the rest of the world. We're, we're a connection between God and, and all the world that doesn't know him. A holy nation, distinct, separate nation. We are a people for his own possession. Imagine, we, we, once we weren't a people, once we were distinct from everyone, once we belonged to America, or, or, or in this case it would have been Jew or Gentile, and once, once we belonged to, 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 to a nation, but now we belong to him. We're bound together in him that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, when we live life together, that, 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 that's a beautiful statement of what God is doing, renewing and restoring relationship, bringing people together. I have a dream of a church that recognizes that value, that lives life together. I have a dream of a church that lives its mission as defined by Christ. I, I don't want to make stuff up. I don't want us to, to, to do just whatever feels good. There are two main objectives that, that people as believers live for. First and most importantly, it's the worship of, of our, our God and Father, our, our Savior and His Holy Spirit. We worship God as He's revealed Himself to be. That is what we were always created for, to, to worship and honor and adore and enjoy Him. And, and, and as I mentioned before, all of life becomes that. As we live in our jobs, as we live in our family, as we serve in our churches and, and work in our communities, all of life becomes worship. And right behind that, because of this fallen world that we live in, we have been given a mission. See, Jesus, just before He ascended, just as He's talking to His disciples in the end, <clears throat> He says to them, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's where he ended, if that was the last statement he made, we could say, well, he said that to his disciples and, and that's their job. It's not for us. But see, then he goes on and he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, if he had stopped with, with you go and make disciples and baptize them in this way, we could push it off. We could say it's not our responsibility. But then he says, now go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey these commands. What he had just done? He'd just given them a command to follow. You see, so this sets up that process that we talked about last week where, where this generation teaches the next generation. They make disciples and they teach them to obey the commands given by Christ and, and they teach the next generation and they, and they teach them to obey the commands given by Christ and they teach the next generation. And you know what? 2,000 years later, after Christ, you know what we are? We're that legacy. We're His legacy. We're the disciples and the apostles' legacy. And you know what's going to come in the next generation? We become, a, we, we become a part of that, that, that group, that, that family used to extend the legacy. And the intention is, is that that goes on 
and on and on until Christ comes back. And you know what the great thing is? We're not out here running it by ourselves. But He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As He was teaching His disciples in the book of John, we hear Him say, I am not leaving you as orphans. When I go, you will not be forgotten. But I'll send a counselor. A counselor. Another counselor. He says, one of the same kind. That's the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He makes us dwelling in us. He guides us and and enables us for the mission. So I have this dream, a dream of a church that, that truly, really, if you want to just put it in plain, everyday English, that lives its life intentionally following God on His mission. One day missions will end when Jesus comes back. And it will all be about worship and enjoying the God who created us. But until that day comes, it's a major part of the life we've been given to live. That's the dream. It's where it all began. That's the main points. That's what it's about, you know. So, so today, as we, as we really put the meat to it and try to really give definition to it, to try and really make it a little more practical, we're going to deal with some core values that... In many cases, churches talk about core values, and that's all they do. They talk about them. They don't instill them. They don't work towards them. They don't even think about them often. And the reality is this where I need to confess, because I've gotten into that trap. There's a couple of these core values that I, that I push all the time that I, I'm always about talking about. But there's some that are extremely important in our life, corporately and individually, that I haven't talked about enough, I haven't necessarily modeled enough, I, I, I haven't emphasized enough, but these values, these, and, and they're really not just values, things to be enjoyed or, or, or appreciated, but they're, they, they should motivate us. They should be distinctions, they should be marks of our life. When people come in, they should be able to say, hey, these people are people of prayer, these people are committed, these people, whatever, they, they, should, be, they should mark us, they should be distinctions about us. And so that's in the coming year and in the years to come, this is where we're going to focus to really instill some of these core motivators, these core distinctives. And we're going to start with prayer. Scripture gives clear direction. It gives clear direction about how we are to be a people of prayer. Uh, Paul, writing about the armor of God, comes to the end of the book of Ephesians and he's, he's telling them to put on the full armor of God stand in this way, be ready to fight the devil and then he says this don't run out of the battle he says in Ephesians 6.18 6, right after teaching and preparing us for war, he says praying at all times with the Spirit he doesn't say get up and run to the, to the devil and, and fight him and take him on, you've got, the, you've got the armor on get ready and go into battle, he says Praying at all times in the Spirit. Put this armor on and pray. Pray with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You see this prayer that He's calling you to and calling me to? He's not just saying go and pray about all your needs and and, and look at God as your Santa Claus and, and, and get Him to give you whatever you can get Him to give you. Pray with all kind of prayer. And then pray for everybody you know that's a brother and sister in Christ. Pray for one another. We need one another to be praying for one another. And you know what else? 
He stopped, I didn't put this verse up there, but, but he continues his next statement. Says, Pray especially for me. Well, Paul's in heaven. And, you know, he's in God's presence. And so maybe we don't need to pray for him anymore. But I would ask you to pray for me. Pray for the leaders in this church. Pray for Brent. Pray for the leaders who are going to step up and lead community groups. Pray for them. Pray for the leaders who are going to take care of our children. Pray for them. Melissa, she needs prayer as much as I need prayer. Pray for your leaders. We need it. And this is where I would ask you to repent. Maybe, maybe you have a prayer time and you sit down and you pray for me and the other leaders of this church. Maybe you don't. Repent of that. Pray for one another and pray for your leaders. We need it. It's a war. It's a battle. And that's why this passage or this verse came in, in the position that it did. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Paul's still teaching. Now he's teaching the, the church at Philippi and he's telling them, hey, you know what? There's, um, there's tension in the church. You guys need to stand together. You need to work together to resolve this. Be, be working together to do this. And then he says to them in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious for anything. But with all prayer and supplication, bring these requests, bring your concerns, bring the worries of life, put your friends and your brothers and sisters in Christ before God, bring your leaders in prayer before God. And leave them there. And trust them to Him. And pray and pray and pray. And, and this is a consistent prayer. And you know what's going to happen when you trust God in that? His peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. You want to know peace? Pray. I mean, pray. I'm not saying, oh God, I need, I need money for my bills and walk away and not think about it again and, and, and just be worried about it. I'm saying, pray, God. I don't know how we're going to pay for our groceries, but I know you're going to provide. I'm going to faithfully follow. I'm going to continue to look for work, Father. Will you provide it for me so that I can provide? I'm going to, I'm going to continue, Father, to, to do my best to honor you and love you, and I, I thank you for the work that, I've, uh, that you've done in my life. And, and Father, you know my heart. You know that I worry. Will you help me? Help my unbelief. Sincere prayer. You know what? He knows you. There is no need to put a show on when you're talking to God. You can't fool Him. You can't... You can't stand up in front of Him and act as if you got it all together. You know why? Because He knows you don't. And we can pray. We can trust. And we can know that He is going to work. His peace, as we trust in this, His peace will we'll guard our hearts. 1 Thessalonians. Paul, teaching again, 5, 17-18. Pray without ceasing. Well, wait a minute. I, I, I pray in the morning or before I go to bed. How do I pray without ceasing? Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus for you. See, our lives corporately and individually should be marked by prayer. We should be people of prayer. You don't have to stop and bow your head. You don't have to sequester yourself. There's, there needs to be times where you sequester yourself off and you pray. But you can have conversation with God anywhere all the time. You don't have to put on some show or you don't have to start speaking in King James English so that He understands you. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on inside of you. Matthew Henry wrote, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. For this shall everyone that is godly pray. If prayerless, then graceless. And that's pretty hard words. Those are, that's, pretty, that's pretty tough. You mean if I don't pray, I'm not saved? Well, I, I don't know that I would agree or go to that extent. But when you have received grace and when you understand what God has done, you recognize that you need Him desperately. And I think you will call on Him often. And while we can see through Scripture and, and, and feel the passion that, that Matthew Henry has, I, I think the reality is, is that we can recognize that oftentimes this is the last place we turn when it should be something that we are in the midst of at all times. Pray. Over the next year, this is something that we will emphasize. I don't think... I don't think we can manipulate God. If we're going to do this, we're going to get this. I don't think we can do that, and I don't want you to hear it this way. But I don't think we'll be able to discern His, his direction and discern His will for our lives and discern His will for our, our church and discern His... I don't think we'll be able to follow him well if we don't pray. And this is something that I will emphasize and you will hear um, emphasized repeatedly. This is an extremely important part of the Christian walk. How else do we hear him if we don't stop and listen to hear him speak? What else is going to happen if we don't communicate with him? What happens when you don't talk to family members or friends for some time? There's a disconnection. There's, you don't know what's going on. We need that communication. The next distinctive, the next value, the next motivator is missional living. I talked a little bit about it already, about living on mission. He's given us this mission beyond ourselves, beyond the church. This is something that's extended out to the community. It, in Philippians, it talks about that it's His will that, that no one perish and that all would come to... To, to redemption, this redemptive work, this redemptive work, we don't, we don't know who's going to be saved. But I can guarantee you this, if we don't extend ourselves and, and teach the truth and bring the gospel, I can guarantee you one thing for sure, you will never see anyone saved. If you're not sharing the truth, if you're not a part of a body or a group that does that, if all you do is sit around quiet all the time, you will likely never see anyone experience salvation. But you've been given a mission to go. He has said, he's decreed, this is not my rule. This is not something I decided or came up with. He has decreed that his people would be the ones that he uses to bring truth, to bring, bring specific revelation about how salvation comes. That's what he chose. That's what he said. That's why he told his disciples in the, at the end of his, his life, just before he ascended into, or not the end of his life, at the end of his time on earth, he says to his disciples, go therefore, make disciples, teach them to obey what I've commanded you so that they'll teach the others. 
That's why he said in John 20, 21, when he is teaching his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You see, the reality is is that Jesus Christ was the very first missionary. He was sent to a dirty, nasty, rebellious, hateful, God-hating world. Oh, but we're so good in Springfield. No. That's where we've been sent. This is where we've been sent. And this isn't, this isn't setting up some event in the park. Although that can be part of it. It's not setting up and doing it in the Easter egg hunt. Although that can be part of it. See, this is a lifestyle. This is something that marks us and makes us different. This is what changes. This is part of the change that is revealed in us. You see, our lives are not meant simply to go out and live the American dream. Our lives are meant to be lived in worship and in this act of worship of living on mission. As you, as he was sent, you are sent. You have my per, 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 permission. You have my permission to go out and be a missionary. Each of you are missionaries where you work, in your families, in your community, in your neighborhood. This is what we've been given to do. This is what we were meant to do. And Jesus passed that baton to his disciples. And through the generations, that baton has now fallen to us. We're missionaries. And our lives should be marked by that. Commitment. This life, this Christian life, I mean, many people come to this and, and are taught by, by evangelists, oh, if you just accept Christ, oh, you, you'll have it made, you'll get all the answers and everything, will just be paved in streets of gold from here on out. That is a lie. It's a lie. Grace is great. It's free. It's liberating. And with it comes life. But to live the Christian life as we've been called to live, to, to choose to do the right thing, it is difficult. It requires commitment. That's why Jesus, when he was teaching, says this in Matthew 10, 22, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I, I don't know about you, but enduring doesn't sound like the easy life. Doesn't sound like you got your feet up on the couch, drinking Cokes or whatever it is you like to drink, eating grapes, maybe even having somebody feed you the grapes because I can really picture that, Amy, dropping grapes in my mouth. That would be the easy life. Maybe she'd rub my feet every now and then. If they got, okay, I'd be having them up, you know. They probably wouldn't get sore. I wouldn't need that probably. Enduring indicates that it is going to be difficult. And I'm going to challenge you. If your Christian walk has just been super easy and you've not had to endure, then you might examine your life. Because Jesus says we're going to have to endure. Where are you at? Paul, 1 Corinthians, says, 
Do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. This is a, this is a, a race. This is a, a, a lifestyle. This is, this is a, a track that we've got to give it our all. We've got to compete. And thankfully, thankfully, the prize is given not based on our own works or our, our own value, but by, by what's bestowed upon by Christ. But he says, run. Run that you can win the prize. That means you've got to run hard. You've got to do the best you can. You've got to give it your all. I lose a lot of races. I mean, look at me. When we ran the turkey trot, my wife beat me. Of course, I let her, but don't tell her that. But in this race, in this Christian race, I, I, I don't want to give up. I don't want you to give up. I want us to run as if it is the most important thing because it is. We have to endure in this. And to endure in this, it is going to take commitment. Commitment to who? Commitment to what? The God who saved us. God who redeemed us, who, who changed us, who converted us, who gave us this life to live. We commit ourselves to Him. And then He puts us in family. And, and you know who we commit to? Tangibly? To one another. To support one another. To bear burdens together. To, to, to be there for one another. To love on one another. To, to hold one another up. To challenge one another to come out of sin. Be committed to this life with one another. And you know what? We do it and we commit that to, to, to that lifestyle so that the people out there can see it happening within here. So that they can see it happening within us, within our family. <clears throat> Authenticity. I hope, and if I have any part to play in this, I hope I'm never a part of a church that comes on Sunday and puts their best faces on and doesn't know one another well enough that they know what's going on. Or that they feel like they have to put on a show to impress everybody. Or that it's just some, just some light, little, simple thing that they do. And, and, and you know what? It doesn't really matter. So I'm going to show up on Sunday and I'm just going to let everybody believe that I'm better than I am now. See, I think the Bible calls us as His people to authentic living, to be real, to be, to be genuine. It's authenticity, when you define it out, it, it talks about truthfulness of origins. Where did we come from? Man, I was broken, I was lost, I was in darkness, I was, I was depraved. Where do I come from now? I've been changed. I'm a new creation. I have value because of Jesus Christ. It's, it's truthfulness and it's attributions and commitments and sincerity, devotion and intentions. To be real about life, to be real about struggles, to be real about the things that go on around us in a day, on a daily basis. I'm not saying that you come up here every week and whoever you talk to, you just give them, oh, here's my dirty laundry, deal with it. But that we live in relationship so that we have places where that can take place. They're coming to get us. We live in relationships so that that can take place. Peter, writing to the early church again, 
Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We need to recognize who we are. We need to recognize what we're about. We need to live in it and be real about it. Any other, any, any other thing, any, any show that we put on, any, 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 any um, way that we try to impress people by, by putting on some airs as if we deserve more or, or are more than what we say we are, it takes away from the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done. We live in community. We focus heavily on community here. This is one of the things I think we do really well. We have people that, that live life together. The relationships are deep. That They're being challenged to, to live the life worthy of our calling. We're, we're seeing people challenged in their sin. Mankind was, it was it's necessary to have this kind of relationship. We need one another. We need one another. The church was founded on these types of relationships as, as, as Jesus dealt with these disciples and He dealt with them closely and they had to lean on one another. They then turned, and, 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 and you see the, the people as they teach at, at, at Pentecost, and Peter stands up and he teaches. These people come to, to believe, and immediately they're living life together. They're with one another every day, gathering in small groups and large groups to worship, and, 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 and the world sees that, and they are struck by it. That's what the church was founded on. As I said, I think this is something we do well, and I don't want to spend too much more time on it, but, but I do want you to understand that this is something we will continue to emphasize because I think it's one of the distinctions that will, will, will separate us from other churches in Springfield. Other churches in Springfield encourage you to show up to get what you can get and, and, and just serve you and serve you and serve you and serve you and, and just keep filling you up and keep filling you up and keep filling you up and you go out into the world and you do your own thing and you live your life and, and never once do they encourage one another to often spend time together. And I'm not trying to bash other churches. I'm not trying to tear other churches down. But this is the focus that I think will make us different than many other churches in Springfield. Because what we challenge one another to do is not just come to get what you need or what you feel like you need or what you want, but to see how you might give back. Come to give and to serve and to plug into one another and to, to live life together and help one another. Don't show up just expecting, oh, I need this, and go home and take it and not use it. But that we live together, giving to one another, generously considering one another. To do this, there's a lot of different things we do. And I would encourage you, if you're not involved in something like this, get involved. We do the best we can to offer things that build relationships, that build opportunities for us to grow. Sunday night and Friday night community groups. Kyle, right there, has a Friday night community group. We're going through the same Bible study, so we'll do a study tonight. Kyle's group will do that same study on Friday night. Obviously, it'll be a little different. The conversation will go a little differently just because different people but the reality is is we're we're studying together saturday night at our house we invite people over i haven't talked about this out loud in a while um, but we just want people to show up and have good a good time together to hang out to know one another to get to know one another to have fun together to just have something to do to to live life together Wednesday night men's and women's Bible study. As I mentioned earlier, the women are just starting into a new Bible study. They're uh, starting through Crazy Love, which is a great study. It's very challenging. Um, and then Wednesday nights, the guys are starting in Philippians. We've read through the book of Ephesians together. That We didn't get together. It wasn't like there was somebody teaching. 
we'd get together and we would read and we'd discuss. And Ephesians, man, it opened up, and it took us quite a while to read through that. Uh, if you're interested in those things, I would encourage you, ask somebody, and, and we'll get you the information about where it's at and uh, what we're doing. And then Fight Clubs is something that we're, we're just starting. Um, we've got a, about three of them that have, have started, uh, and we will continue to get them started. And what a Fight Club is, it's a group of two, three, four at the most. Four is probably as far as we want it to grow, but this is groups of people divided by like men with men and women with women women with women um, and the intent is is that you get together you share your struggles you pray together you get deep confess sin you challenge one another to repent of sin and you hold one another accountable and you bring gospel truth into the life that each of us are living you challenge one another those are some things some some great ways that that are uh, that are happening already in the church and and we'll continue to develop this we need, we need one another. We weren't meant to live this life alone. I would encourage you to, to, to plug in. And we come now to a couple, the last three really, of these distinctives, these things that we value, these motivators. And it's in these three, these next three, that we really find the depth of who we are. It's in these three that we'll really be brought to... Uh, uh, a place where we're enabled and, and made able to see all of this other happen. The first of these three is love. The love that we've been loved with is unconditional. It's, it's amazing. I, I, I mean, if you, if you stop and think about how God, his, the, the Father, has loved you by sending His Son, if you stop and think about how Jesus Christ, our Savior, has loved you by laying his life down, and how the Holy Spirit continues to love you by leading you into truth, that's an amazing love. It's an active love. It's not some emotion that, that ebbs and flows, you know, I'm angry so I don't love you as much. It's a choice to act in our best interest even when sometimes it's difficult for us to understand it. He works in our best interest. It's something that's supposed to motivate everything we do. This love that we've been given, that's been bestowed on us, we've been told to turn and use towards others and direct towards others. And Paul, as he's teaching about this great love that we've been given, this great love that we've experienced in 1 Corinthians 13, as he's describing it out, he opens that chapter by saying, if you do all these noble things, if you live life in this noble way, but you don't have love, it's nothing. It's empty. It's a clinging symbol. He uses this terminology and, and, and he kind of exaggerates and makes a, a big deal out of it. The reality is, is that love should motivate our lives. It should be that thing that moves us. You see, because we can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of good things. But if we're not really considering people's best interest, we're, we're, we're more motivated selfishly, we're not thinking about the best interests of the people that we're living towards or, or directing it towards, then it's empty. I can teach my butt off, but if all I'm doing is trying to build a platform so that people will pat me on the back and I can be important in front of people, then it's nothing. It's empty. We can give away thousands of backpacks 
and we're not doing it with their best interest at heart, it's meaningless. It's, it, it will mean nothing. And the reason I say that is because we can, we can give away backpacks all day long. We can do social good all day long. But what's their best interest? To know Jesus. To have the hope of salvation. If we disconnect all our social action from the love of God, His salvation, His work of redemption and restoration, and we don't bring this in, you know what it means? We're working in vain. It's meaningless. It's empty. And people will look at us and they'll say, you're so good. But it's empty. We must act in love. We must move in love. First Peter, again, Peter teaching this suffering, hurting, broken church. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience, in verse 22, chapter 1, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, want, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I love the way this is written. It is so encouraging as I, as I, as I studied this years ago and, and recognized this. This is what he says. We don't catch it in the English because they use a couple of different words. But this is what he says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, now that you're saved, now that you're a believer, now that you're in this family, and you have re re built this sincere brotherly love, now that you're in the family, you've got this emotional connection to other believers. You're connected. You love one another. And if you bump into somebody that you don't even go to church with and you find out they're a believer, there's an automatic emotional connection there. There's an automatic connection and you can love one another in that way. But he talks about a brotherly love. But then he says, love one another. And, and the word changes. Before it was, in the Greek, it was Philadelphia, which is an emotional love, a brotherly love. A, it's more of a, an affectionate love. And then it changes and he says, agape. That means Love by choice. Love like Jesus loved you. Love like God has loved you. Choose to act in their best interest. So he's saying now that you have this emotional connection with one another in the family, act in one another's best interest. Teach truth. Encourage. Bear burdens. Stand together. Walk together. Live life together. It's a choice. It is a choice to act like this. It is a, it, 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 it's not something that happens by accident. To love someone in this way it, it is a choice. Above all, he says in chapter 4, above all, keep loving one another. Keep choosing to love one another as Jesus loved you. Earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What happens is when you begin to live in community, you know what you find out about one another? That those Sunday faces that we're so used to seeing, they're not our real faces. I mean, we put on nice clothes when we come to church on Sunday. Some of us have some pretty holy underwear. Some dirty laundry to deal with. We've got to love one another in spite of that. You know why? Because Jesus Christ loved us in spite of that. He loved you in spite of that. And it doesn't mean that we ignore sin or don't challenge one another with sin or that we, 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 we just, hey, you know what, I love you anyway. 
No, to love one another this way means that you love one another, one another in spite of your faults and you, and, and you love one another well enough that you love one another out of those faults so that you challenge one another. And rather than saying, oh man, that's sin, and going off and doing your own thing, you say, hey, that's sin. Can I help you? Can I, can I walk with you? I struggle with this too. Love one another. See, it covers over a multitude of sin. It doesn't forget them or ignore them, but it's offered in spite of them. And when we love one another this way, we'll eventually see one another loving one another out of sin. Loving one another to, to live better, to, to please God, to honor God. There's a story from Watchman Nee, a Chinese Christian, as he spoke about another Chinese man. This Chinese man it was in the midst of a drought. He had a rice paddy on a field and his fields were dry. And, and so he developed a, a, a windmill that ran a, ran a conveyor belt that moved water up uh, from, a, from a river up to his fields and he was able to fill his field up every day. His rice paddy would fill up every day. And his neighbor would come in the night and he'd tear down a part of the wall that separated one rice paddy from another and it would drain down the hill from this guy's rice paddy into this neighbor's rice paddy. And so he'd wake up in the morning and all of a sudden his rice paddy's empty. He's, he'd have to go through it all again. He has to build, rebuild his wall, fill his rice paddy up. And that night it would happen. And over 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 this happens. And this guy is getting distraught and he's discouraged. And he goes to his friends, his Christian friends, and he says, What do I do? I've been patient with him, but what do I do? And as I asked that question, I can't help but think, what would I do? How would you react? Taking advantage of every day. Having to work extra every day. What do I do? I want to do what's right, he says. And one of his Christian friends says, you know what? If we just did what's right, if we just did the bare minimum, what poor Christians we would be. What can you do that demonstrates the love of God? You know what he does? He goes home and he's convicted and he ponders this and he prays about it. And the next morning he wakes up and he directs his, his conveyor belt of water to his neighbor's field first. And he fills that field with water. And then he does the extra work. And in that, in that afternoon, he fills his own. You know what didn't happen that night? his wall wasn't broken down. And he didn't have the extra work of having to rebuild a wall and, and, and flood his field again. He just had the extra work of serving his neighbor. His neighbor was so struck by this to be loved in this way that he began to ask questions. You know what eventually happened? He came to Christ. He understood God's love in a tangible and real way. And he was Our love for one another, our love, our choice to act in the best interest of others becomes a vehicle for the gospel, for the truth of God that He came into a broken world and saved a sinful people. That has to mark us. That has to motivate us. 
truth. Truth is extremely important to the Christian people. We live in a world that wants to deny truth, that wants to act as if it's not real, that it doesn't exist. Truth is extremely important. Because without truth, the gospel's meaningless. Without truth, without, with, without absolute truth being revealed by God, then everything else is worthless and empty because you can't count on anything. There's nothing you can believe in. But we have been given truth. God's Word, His, the Scripture, the Bible, it is that truth. And this, 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 this idea of knowing and understanding the Bible, it is a key strategy to the vision of everything that we do. In fact, as we do community groups, as we do Bible study, as we do, as, as we do fight clubs, this is the key. Scripture is the key. Without it, we have many opinions. We have, we have great ideas. But if it doesn't align with God's truth of, of who He is and, and how He works and what He intends for us to do, if it's in opposition to this, then it really doesn't matter. See, God's truth is what matters. Psalm 119, as the psalmist writes, he, he writes over and over of the beauty of God's Word, and he says this in verse 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He recognizes that it reveals the way for him to go. It gives him direction. It, it, it allows him to see where his next step is to fall. Hebrews 4.12, as the writer of Hebrews writes, For the Word of God is living and active. It's not some dead book. It's not just a bunch of words on a page. It means something. There's depth. It's real. It's living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Man, it cuts at times. And it removes things that sometimes we don't want removed, but, but it can cut. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, it goes deep. This is not... The, the, the Word doesn't bring about putting on makeup. It's not like putting on mascara and, and base and, and putting on your eyeshadow and prettying yourself up. This is reconstructive surgery. It's deep. As deep as soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know what? In the Word of God, we find out that we're not really motivated for Him. We're motivated for ourselves. In the Word of God, we find where our, our, our true motivations lie. And that's why we need it so desperately. We need it to reconstruct us, to change us, to make us new. Second Timothy is Paul's writing to Timothy about leading the church about challenging him to, to do the right thing, to lead in the church and to teach well. He says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And I, I, We read that a lot, you hear it a lot, and I just want you to stop and think about it. It's breathed out by God. He spoke it. You know, he used men to write it, and we might see their writing styles and their personalities come out in the way that they wrote, but the words are his. He gave them to his people. It's profitable. It's valuable. It's worth something. And it, it, it's good for teaching. In the pages of Scripture, we can find knowledge and truth. You know what? It's not going to tell us. It's not going to tell us that two and two makes four. What it's going to teach us is who God is. How God works. Why we need to be saved. How He saved. 
and how He intends us to live until He comes back. That's what the Scripture's about. Now let's think about this and step back to the beginning of the message. A life lived in pursuit of His kingdom and His righteousness is first. And all the other things get added. What do you think we need more? Skills in addition and subtraction? Or some time in this? I'm not bashing education. We need to be educated. But I think all the education in the world, when you ignore this, empty. It's worthless. We need His Word. It's good for teaching. We can learn from it. In its words, we are given reason to believe what we believe. It's, it's good for reproof, for refuting error, for correction. And these two, reproof and correction, kind of work together. It not only sets out that negative thing, but it also gives you the positive direction in which you're to work. Let me give you an example. Ephesians 4.28 says this. Let the thief no longer steal, steal, but rather let him labor. Don't steal. Work hard. Reproof. Here's the error. Don't steal. Work hard. That's the right way. That's what it does. It gives us reproof, shows us error, gives us correction, gives a positive way for us to move forward. It trains us in righteousness. We're given righteousness by Christ. It's imputed to us. He gave it to us on the cross. It's called the great exchange by, by, by many people. He took our sins onto the cross with him. And he says, here's my righteousness. And he bestows it upon us. He calls us clean. He calls us pure. But then we're challenged to walk in that righteousness, to live in that righteousness. And this trains us, the Word trains us in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent. It doesn't, it doesn't just give you knowledge. The Word of God transforms you and enables you. His truth makes you able to move forward. It enables you to be the person He called you to be. So that you're confident, that you're able to live the life He's given you to live. And it equips for every good work. You know what? It may not make you able to cut the grass better and smoother and greener than anybody else. But what it is going to do, it's going to equip you to have a desire to do your best so that as you cut that grass, you do it in order to honor God. Even the simplest things. It equips you to go out and give backpacks and do these social good to, 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 to act in mercy and to bring in His love that it might make an eternal difference. It equips us for every good work. So in our community groups, our Bible studies, our fight clubs, our mission endeavors, life in the world, day-to-day -day taking a breath, you're going to be challenged to live in the Word, to know the Word. I'm going to come to you every week doing the best I can to break it out for you. But don't wait for Sunday. Get a Bible, a good, solid translation, and read it. You'd be shocked at how to change you. We may use books and other tools to, to help us understand it, 
but never will they become more important than the truth of God by itself. Never should they overshadow it. And now we come to the very central theme of all that we do. The gospel. God is perfect. He came to us. He converted us. He changed us. He saved us. He redeemed us. He's got this plan for us that eventually He restores. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And, and it's because of the gospel that all that we do matters. It's because of the gospel that we can gather here, that we can do all this effort, expend all this effort, that we can get together, that we can do this work, and it matters. You see, it's because of the gospel that we can even look to Him and adore Him and honor Him. It's because of the gospel that we can know Him. It's because of the gospel that our relationships can be meaningful and deep. It's because of the gospel that we have purpose and mission in life. It's because of the gospel that our relationships, they're they're important. It's because of the gospel that, that the work that we do is not in vain. It's because of the gospel that life matters. It's because of the gospel that we have something real to offer the world that we walk into. Everything else we have to offer, you may be the best at what you do. You may be the best, whatever, I, I can't even think of a job, architect, you might be the best accountant, you might be the best airplane mechanic, you might be the best sound installer, you might be the best door maker, you might be the best pharmacist tech, you might be the best at what you do. But without the gospel, it's jack, it's empty, it's nothing. Because of the gospel, what we do and what we offer is real and tangible and makes a difference. Because of the gospel, we have a reason. We have a real reason to share the truth. Because of the gospel, we have life. And we can offer life because it's real. Because of the gospel. And because of the gospel, we will stand in truth. We will lean on His Word. Because of the Gospel, we will act in love. Because of the Gospel, we can be real with one another. We can be authentic. Because of the Gospel, we can live in community. Because of the Gospel, we have reason to pray. We have an option to pray. Imagine, without the Gospel, it wouldn't be there. Because of the Gospel, life matters. It's meaningful. It's rich. So because of the gospel, we will act and live and challenge and strive to live in this way. I will live in this way in order to model it for you. And I will turn and I will challenge you to live in this way. And then challenge you to turn and model it for someone else that they might follow you as you follow Christ living in this way. Because of the gospel, we have the opportunity to do that. My hope is that as we continue forward in this church, I'm just going to be. Tell, I'm going to tell you. I think we're. I, I, there are things happening that that are, are so exciting to me. We're at a, we're at a very special place. I think as a church, as, as I consider where we've been in our history and the things that. The, the, the things that have occurred over the last three years as we've formally gathered, man, I'm going to tell you, we're at, a, we're at a beautiful place. Because this dream that I began with four and a half years ago, I'm seeing it happen. And I am so thankful to God to see it happen. And you, as you come and commit and live this life with us, you are a part of making it happen. My hope is, is that you recognize the value of what's going on. My hope is that you'll share 
with others what's going on in your life, that they might learn the value of what we're doing as well. I think we're at a very special place to interact with a community of people that need to be interacted with, to, to, to be right on their doorstep, to be engaged with their families. We have opportunity in this building that we didn't have in our other building. Does it come with challenges? Absolutely. But is it worth it? Absolutely. In the coming weeks, there will be some plans made and some, some, some ideas put together that we can actually get together and corporately begin working to reach this neighborhood. I'd ask you to pray about that. Please pray about that. In the coming weeks, in fact, uh, tomorrow, there's nobody from my work in here, so I feel okay saying this. I'm going to turn in notice. I'll be giving uh, notice at my job. I'll be moving to part-time so that I can lend more effort and, and more leadership to this church. We need it. If we're going to move forward, that's the next step. I'll be taking a part-time job uh, and, and uh, uh, trying to do the best I can to, to, to lead us out of this. We'll formalize our membership process. We'll be able to offer a few more things in the way of Bible study. Um, there will be um, just more opportunity to, to formalize leadership uh, training, uh, which is something that we will do in this coming year. We will uh, not just, we will be installing a second elder, but we will also be training the, the people that are standing to lead in, in that, next, that next place, whether you're ministering with our children or whether you're, whether you're uh, leading a community group. We want to train you. We want to equip you. We want to help you lead others, um, and we'll begin doing that. Uh, so that's, that's coming. I would ask you to pray about that. Kind of a scary step for me, my wife. Um, we've come to this place through a lot of prayer ourselves. Please continue to pray about that. We need your prayer in that. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of things that, that are right on the brink. We've just got to stay committed. We've got to keep moving forward. And so, that being said, that's where we're headed. That's the church we're seeking to, to, to see built. I would just ask you to commit, not first to me, first to your, to your Savior, and then to one another, and then to the community. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You have given us so much. You have saved us. You've served us. You've taught us. You're, you're training us, you're equipping us, you're making us ready for the work that we have to do. We thank you for it. I, I think about all that you've done in my life and just in the last couple of years as, as, as I thought I was so ready to go out and do this work and you have shown me that how desperately I need you. How, how much you've, you've grown me and shaped me, Father. I pray that you would do the same in these that they would find themselves in a place where they cannot lean on their own understanding, their own wisdom and their own knowledge and their own ideas, but that they would find themselves stepping in faith, trusting that you alone can keep them on track and make things work. Not blind faith, but, but, but a knowledgeable faith, a faith that's built on what you've already done and what you've promised to do but a radical faith nonetheless. Father, I pray. I pray that in this year ahead, in, in the time we have as a church in this building, for as long as you leave us here, Father, I pray 
that we would be a blessing to the people in here in the school that use it regularly, that we would find ways, that you would show us ways to engage them, to bring um, a, a, a great example before them, an acts of mercy, just swallowed up in your love. Father, I, I pray that as we think about the, the houses right outside the door that are down the street, that you would build in us a concern and compassion for them that emboldens us and gives us courage to tell them the truth covered up by your grace. I, I pray, God, that as we go to our jobs that, that you would make us able to speak clearly and concisely about who you are and what you've done. I pray that we, you, would, you would help us to overcome the lie that nobody wants to hear it because we recognize they need to hear it. I pray that you'd give us strength to model it in all that we do as we're at our jobs, that we would be strong employees, that we'd be good employees, that we would be good bosses. I pray, God, that as we live life together, that we would love one another as you have loved us. Thank you for giving us this life. Thank you for giving us direction in this life. We thank you. We praise you. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.